it says in verse 1 of chapter 6 that Solomon began to build the house of the Lord. And that is the topic. That is the dream. That's the vision. That's the calling. That's the purpose to build the house of the Lord. That is his project. The wood that came down from Tyre, the the stone being quarried in the previous chapter, all the thousands of workers, it's all moving toward one thing. It's a project. It's profound. It's going to take years. But it is one sentence to build the house of the Lord, to graduate college, to finish this. Like it's one sentence. It is one sentence, this task. And of course, we all know the more simplified your goals are, the easier they are to follow. And the more uh, intentional and deliberately focused they are towards specific things, you don't get off track, right? Like you, the more you're honed in on just the one thing of a supreme goal, do you just come back from that, how you break it down into mid-range goals and smaller goals and how you move toward that. But this is the one thing to build the house of the Lord. So let's think about this. We've got a little bit of future in front of our life, and the Lord is saying to us tonight, hey, you in WG, hey, you listening to Joey on podcasts or whatever, I want you to build the house of the Lord. I have a project for you that has a stop-start place. It's measurable of what you're doing, and it's for the kingdom. So put that in your mind right now, whatever it might be, because we just want to get into eternity and just have done nothing except listen to me or old tapes of other teachers or K-Wave and just in and not have it go out. So really, this is an application study coming from Solomon, who was a man of action. Build the house of the Lord. So it says he began. And that's what I want to talk about first is beginning. There's always a beginning. So we have a dream. We have a goal. We have the objective. We're going to build the house of the Lord, whatever it is that God might have for us. And you know, I was thinking about church history and things people have done. Because I mentioned like, oh, maybe you get a degree, you, you write a book, you do a TV series, you got to produce eight shows like Luke Caldwell did with his show Boise Boys. It's a lot of production. It's a lot of stuff. Things like that. But in the kingdom of God, I thought of two people that are amazing that, that had stop-start projects. First one is Strong's Concordance. Strong's Concordance is about this thick. And it's every word in the King James Bible in English from A to Z. Adam, whatever. And it goes from there. Every word. Mr. Strong, before we had computers and all this stuff about 150 years ago, had a vision that for people like me and Charles Spurgeon getting our Bible studies ready, back in his day, Spurgeon, that it'd be help if you could just reference a word to find the verse instead of sticking through your Bible trying to figure it out. Now, I don't use my Strong's Concordance anymore, but it's, it made the cut of books. I gave away almost all my books a few months ago. I'm getting ready for eternity. You know, you travel light. I just don't, I'm tired of moving books, okay? I've read them all, and they're here, and they're here, and if they're not, they don't matter. But I kept Strong's because a man in Jesus' name about 150 years ago took the time to write down every word in our Bible, your King James Bible, Old and New Testament, every word in the English language, and put them in order and he did it, and it was his life calling. And I have it. So some computer or artificial intelligence didn't do this. A man did this for the body of Christ about 150 years ago, Strong's Concordance. Like, it's a lifetime's work. And how did it happen? Well, you start with A in the book of Genesis. That's how it happens. You have a vision that you're going to do this for to benefit the global body of Christ, which he did do during the Great Missionary Awakening in the 1800s. 
And you had to start somewhere, didn't you? Can you imagine the massive task that you're going to categorize every single word in the entire Bible? In English, from A to Z? Every single word. And you're going to put them chronologically in order so that Pastor Joey in the year 2022, if he wants to, and doesn't want to use his smartphone, can open up looking for that reference, you know, um, all fall short of the glory of God, or all have sinned, Romans 3.23. Well, in case I forgot where that was, I opened up my strong concordance, look under A, Romans 3.23. That's what that man did for all of us. It had a starting point, A in Genesis, and Z in Revelation. Isn't that amazing? But what do you do? It's a great idea. How many people had the idea before him? What's the difference between, why do we have Strong's Concordance and not someone else's Concordance? Because he's the one that started the project. You have to start. See, so many people, God puts incredible things on their mind and on their heart and all these things they can do. Like, it took Thomas Edison 10,000 failures to figure out electricity. And look at us now. I get upset when this light's flashing. Goal-specific task accomplishment. Greatness is never cheap, nor is it easy. And to build the house of the Lord for the Lord was a great task. It wasn't cheap, and it wasn't easy. And it requires a beginning. So many people get great ideas and never do anything with them. And many of those great ideas, especially when you're walking with the Lord, are from the Lord. And then, because we live in a negative society with negative news and all the negativity around us, we talk ourselves out of it before you can go through your Fox or CNN news report. Yeah, this great thing God put on your heart. Just, wow. We can do a mission station in Kabul because this is the way we can do it. And you're like, you've been, and there it is. And it's so clear. You're like, no one can do that. We, the U.S. lost the war. Why would we do that? And you talk yourself out of it. That's what happens. That's how the devil works. If we delight ourselves in the Lord, He'll give us the desires of our heart. So it starts with seeking the Lord. And it's when we seek the Lord through faith that he puts those things in our heart, the dream, the vision, the objective, and the plan. And then it's, us to up, it's up to us to respond in faith. But we have to receive it in faith. And then we have to respond in faith because faith without works is dead. And we have to take the first step and do the first thing. That's what we have to do. And in 34 years of ministry, I've watched a lot of people have brilliant ideas and grand ideas and huge visions from the Lord, tasks, even just task visions from the Lord, and talk themselves out of it or just let negative people, negative relatives, negative neighbors, negative pastors, negative people around them talk them out of it before they even get traction on it. Talk is cheap, action is everything. And there comes a point where you've got to begin. You're going you're to go on, you're going to do this thing. And you just begin. Recently, Sarah Yardley in England, she does the Creation Fest, runs the whole thing, oversees it all. Brilliant mind. All those Yardleys are brilliant. They're geniuses. After the Creation Fest was done, she did this hike that's from, it's on the Iberian Peninsula. It's like Portugal through Spain. It's an old like Catholic route thing. And it's like, goes forever into Europe. And she did it. And she was posting from Instagram this incredible scenery from the Iberian Peninsula. It goes, again, Portugal, Spain, the Basque country, and I think it goes up into the maybe Pyrenees, into France or whatever. But I was like, I'll leave it to Sarah Yardley to do something like that. Well, where, where would she get the weather all to hike hundreds of miles through Europe like that? Well, remember what she did in COVID? Rather than sit around, she flew down to Africa and she climbed Kilimanjaro. 
Well, everyone's living in fear, not us, but many. She flew to Africa and climbed Kilimanjaro. And I asked her what it was like, and she said, really hard. <laughs> when you're climbing Kilimanjaro, you have a start point, you have a top, and you come down, and you completed it. That's how we want to think. You got to take the next step, the first step, the first step, then the next step. So you have the vision. Then you have a plan of action, like, okay, this is how I'm going to go back to college at 61. Okay, I got to get my transcripts from your coast to college. Who's going to take me? I can do online with this or that. I can do OCC and just get my AA. And it's, what's the next step? What's the plan of action? What's the most important thing? Probably my transcripts, right? If Pastor Joy is going to, I'm not going to do this. Don't worry about it. Okay, I'm just using an example, but like what, so the most important thing, I get my transcripts and then I got to register, right? That's what you would do. And what's the next thing? See, I'm being very practical tonight because I want us to think about doing something great before you step into eternity and stand before the Lord and say you sat here for 10 years and did nothing because I don't want you sitting here doing anything and I don't want you looking at me sitting here, standing here doing nothing. There's stuff to be done and we're not done until we're done. And I want to attempt the greatest things I've ever done for the Lord down the stretch, more than anything I've ever done in the past. I want to be like Billy Graham doing a crusade when I'm 95 through the internet. Start, stop. Right? You got to take the step. So when you think about the first, you know, you begin, it says he began this great project. He began, it's like two words. He began. We have to begin. So I want you to think like, okay. But to begin, you, you know, so you got to take the first step, and you, it's always good if you're taking the right direction. But even so, if you take it in the wrong direction, nobody can, like, bring you back. And, you know, bring you back. What have I said for years? A moving car is a lot easier to redirect than a parked car that you don't take out of the garage. So here's the vision. Seek the Lord for the plan. This seems to be the things here. This is be the most important thing. It would seem that this is the most important thing. The next thing is to do this. So I always have POA, plan of action, MIT, most important thing, and TNT, the next thing. The macro goal, subdivided goals, simpler goals, today's goals. I'm being practical. I'm trying to help all of us tonight understand how these things work, because Solomon is practical. The book of Proverbs is practical. And this man accomplished a great thing, and it didn't just fall out of the sky. It wasn't dumb luck. It was deliberate. It was intentional. It was a grand plan for the Lord, and he began the work, and we must begin the work. Second thing we see tonight, in verse 11 of chapter 6, it says he was strengthened by the Lord. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, concerning this temple which you are building, if you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, keep all my commandments, and walk in them, then I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father David. And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and will not forsake my people Israel. I like this, because if you've ever been going through college or you've got like a, a major thing that's taken years to do, there's a grind element to it. We're just grinding. It's, it's, you're like a farmer in the Midwest. I mean, you, you just gotta do what you gotta do. From point A to point Z, we just gotta grind this out. I remember when Bill Curry used to go to our church, wonderful man of God. He was a sheriff with Orange County Sheriffs. He worked in the jail system over here in Orange. And he got this vision and this idea that he wanted to be a lawyer and that God was calling him to be a lawyer. And so he went to law school while being a full-time sheriff with the Orange County sheriffs. And he, in fact, became a lawyer. And it stretched him. 
but he went to law school while raising Petra and being married to his wife. They, he, went to law, he had a full-time job in the jail dealing with criminals and non-criminals on a day-to-day basis. And he went back to school and completed law school, passed the bar, and is now using these skills and how he provides for his family and how he's serving the Lord these days. I'm just taking a little liberty here, but I'm thinking if you're going to law school while you work at a jail every day, you're grinding. Or in surfing, they say, oh, grind kind. Like, you're just grinding. And you just can't walk away from it. Like, this is the way it is. And as there's seven year, it's a seven year commitment to build this temple. And in the middle of this, while you're grinding, what happens? The Lord speaks to Solomon. Hey, Solomon. See, what happens when you're grinding is you forget why you're grinding and who you're grinding for and what the ultimate end of your grinding is. You can get so locked into, oh, this is so much to do. How am I doing this? The jail, law school, being a dad, being a husband. Like you can just, when you're grinding, you can forget why you're grinding and who you're grinding for. We're grinding for the Lord Jesus Christ. See, ultimately, our life is in his hands and it's, him that's working in and through us for his good pleasure. And we're told in Colossians, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, not unto men. So we're reminded that whatever we're doing, we're doing it for the Lord. That whether it's the beginning of the project, the middle or the end, or the various obstacles we hit in a major project, because of course we all know this, right? Tip to younger people here, you'll hit obstacles in your projects. Those are called blessed opportunities if you frame them right. That's what they are. Because obstacles are how you grow and learn and how you resolve those obstacles and go around them or go through them. Or as Solomon would say, a wise man scales the city wall and takes the city. You find a way to get into the city. A wise woman, a wise man, they just find another way. Like, you're going to find a way. The obstacles present that. And we grow through those things. And in the middle of Solomon's grinding, in this chapter that talks about seven years, the word of the Lord came to him. Now, before the word of the Lord came to him in verse 11, he would have already known the law of God, right? I mean, his dad David said, delight yourself in the law of the Lord and meditate day and night. Psalm 1, his dad wrote, he would know these things. He would know the law. He would have the scribes and priests to read him the law. So he had the obvious word of God availed to him. So when he went to work and they're grinding and moving the quarried rocks and doing this and bringing in the, the olive wood and the cedar wood and all these things and getting all the gold, when they're doing all this in the order of contractors and subcontractors in this massive project, he would know in the morning when he got up, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. He could say the Shema, you know, he could, all that stuff, he had it. He could ask the priest to come every day, like, Lord bless thee and keep thee, be gracious unto thee. He had all that. But you know, if you've you've ever been grinding in a major project, again, let's say you went back to college, and in the midst of all that, there's times when the Lord might give you a word, and that's my point here. Like, God came in with a specific word, and and whatever you might be in a task, it's a larger task, and it seems like this is never going to end, you know, let the Lord come speak to you. We know you got the law like Solomon. We know you can read the Shema every morning, but isn't it nice when the word of the Lord comes to you and says, hey, I got a word for you. Just stay on track. Don't get discouraged. Don't check out because of this professor or because of this boss or whatever. Stay on track. I'm with you. Just walk in my ways. Keep my statutes. 
Just that, that reaffirming word that God gives you sometimes when you really need it. That's how we're told in 1 Corinthians 14, that prophecy in the New Testament sense, when someone speaks a prophetic word, it's, it's edifying, it's encouraging, and it's comforting. That's like the, what we call the spoken word. We have the written word, but then you get that spoken word that always is confirmed by the written word, but it's just like fresh manna, as we'd say. Like, it just has a fresh fire for our souls. And when it's spoken, it strengthens our souls. Because when you're grinding in a major project, your soul can become weary. You can be like the psalmist in a dry and thirsty land, panting as a deer panteth for the water. Jesus, of course, his ministry, he had a beginning. Going back to that first point, he had a beginning. We're told in the Gospels, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Like when he went to go get baptized by John, that's the beginning of Jesus being introduced to us. That's when he began his ministry for our salvation. But then he went into the wilderness and was tempted by the devil. And when he was grinding with the devil after 40 days of fasting, how did he engage the devil? With the word of God. What was his strength at his weakest point in his humanity? The word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written three times. Then throughout the three years of ministry that Jesus had, with just the wear and terror of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, just never, they just never relented. Plus the frustration of the apostles not learning lessons. It's like, oh, where's your faith? You know, like, where is your faith? And he would, you almost miss it, but there's many times in the Gospels where Jesus is frustrated with the apostles because they're not getting what he expected them to get. And even when he's in the tomb and then out of the tomb, his enemy said, he said he's going to rise. They didn't do that. And who was there that morning? The women were there. So the frustration of trying to raise up and knowing Judas is going to betray you in the humanity. Because if we read in Jesus, he sighed in his spirit. Our redemption is very costly. And there was some grinding going on for Jesus as the Savior. And yet he always did those things that pleased the Father. He had the word. He had the word of God. He had the word as it is written and he had that sweet fellowship with the Father during his earthly ministry where it would come alive by the Spirit. Because remember, the Spirit came upon him. So when we're grinding, we have to remember who we're grinding for and why. We're grinding for Jesus. It's a major project. It's arduous. It's difficult. It's frustrating. But we're doing it for the Lord. And that's why we're doing it. And he's going to get the glory. I was thinking about when Calvary Chapel bought Marietta Hot Springs. And I know, I think it's an escrow right now to sell. But that's, this is a different generation. There was a wonderful run there at that, that place. And in the 90s, that, you know, the Calvary Board of Directors bought that facility. It was totally run down from what it was in the 30s and the 40s as a resort. And they did all that stuff. And think of the grinding, like contractors, the, the, the city council. and every, When there's money, everyone wants the money, particularly politicians. And think of the plumbing you had to do with all the sulfur springs, the electrical work. All that stuff. And what we know now that I never thought much about is in 20 years it starts to break down again. Right? But the Calvary Board, Pastor Chuck, they fought through that and they got that thing done. And some of you enjoyed women's ministry events there. Some of you enjoyed retreats there. Men's conferences. Some of you enjoyed pastor's conferences. And whatever the... By the way, little known fact... If you ever walked in that main sanctuary, there was a dove made of bricks. Those, those were our bricks, me and Jennifer's bricks. The house we bought in Costa Mesa had original bricks on the back porch. The guy who did work to replace that, he 
was a good friend of Chuck's, and they were redoing the entryway, and they took our bricks. And so I'd go out there every time, and go like, "This is my bricks, man. This is my bricks, boy." <laughs> Who knows what they are now or where they are now? But you know what? They serve their time. We don't have to worry what happens after we're gone. We pass the baton. The next generation can. They got to figure it out with the Lord, like we we're figuring it out with the Lord. But the point being is. The word of the Lord comes to us in our grind, and it's a source of comfort, and we should receive that comfort. We stand on the word when we're doing the great project, and we're frustrated, and we've got these things going. It's the who we're doing it for and why, for the kingdom, and we find a way, and we just keep going forward. That's what Jesus did. He, you know, we're told in Luke 9, he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. And when we got a grand task to do, get it done with our face like flint toward Jerusalem. The third thing we see is in the next chapter, in chapter 7, in verse 51, it says, So the work, all the work of King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. Hey, he finished. Again, I mentioned at the beginning of this day that there's a start, stop. You know, it's a seven-year project. It's easy for us. It's like Tuesday night, it took 55 minutes to do the study, and we read about what happened in seven years. To the details of the design, the woodwork, the artistic, all that stuff, we read it. But there comes a point where the work is finished. There's a point when it's done. But there's a a completion. There's even hopefully a day where you shake hands with your contractor and say, thanks, man, great job. There's no more work to be done. And if you got a problem with the lights a year and a half later, that's your problem. So call a light person, right? Or if it's a plumbing, you call Devin. Sorry, Devin. But, uh, you know, like they did the job, they finished it. You do the job, you finish it. It's completed. When Paul the Apostle, with his missionary journeys, they were somewhat open-ended, but there was completion because when he went out, he would come back from, and he always was on the Jewish calendar, Passover, Pentecost. So he had, he had incremental goals on his journeys and where he wanted to be, and he'd come back and report to the church in Antioch all that God had done. And in a sense, that's when he sealed the fruit of those journeys. That project was done. Those churches were planted. The the goal to plant churches in modern Turkey, which was the first missionary journey, Acts 13 and 14, was done. The churches were established. And they went back to every one of them on the first journey. They went like a a horseshoe and went back and put elders and leaders in charge of the churches. And then they returned to Antioch and shared the report. They had completed that. That's why in Romans 15, when he's wrapping up his third missionary journey, he says, no longer having a place in these parts... I'm headed to Jerusalem first, then Rome, and hopefully Spain. And when I've sealed this fruit, that's what we, that's how we refer to it, sealing the fruit. It's actually, Brandon is here tonight, Pastor Brandon. He was my assistant coach with the U.S. surf team for a couple years. And we taught all the surf kids to seal the fruit. So all these kids say, you got to seal the fruit. You like, you got to close the deal. You got to finish the job. So in surfing, sealing the fruit was finishing the last turn, particularly at Huntington. Like you do all this stuff, and you got to stick. It's like gymnastics. You got to stick your landing. So we use that term as a coach all the time. Seal the fruit. Like we're not done till we're done, till we're on the podium and this contest is over. Like seal the fruit. And that comes from Paul the Apostle and the Holy Spirit in Romans 15. So when you seal the fruit, that means you finished the job. That means you're done. That whatever that grand task was that you set out to do, hey, if you went to YWAM, if you went, because we dealt with, we worked with YWAM down in Chile with our good friend Nathan Anderson, these students would come in, and what they did is they did like 
Well, they had a couple different programs, but one was like they did three months of academic training there in Pichilemu, Chile. So they took multiple classes, you know, basic new, introduction to New Testament, biblical, major the, theological themes, stuff like that. And then the next three months, they'd go on a mission trip for like three months. You know, I remember one year they all went to Uruguay, you know, right through the Andes on the other side of Chile, and there you are, Uruguay, and you do three months of ministry in Uruguay. Then they would come back, and it was done. Like you, you did three months of training, and then you did three months of sharing, and then you came back, and you sealed the fruit. Like that's, you sealed the fruit. So when we think about something grand, a grand task, a huge vision, whatever, in the end, and let's say I stuck with USA Olympic surfing, and I was still the USA Olympic coach. I'd be three years closer to 2028 in Los Angeles, but that whole vision, you know, so whether we got someone on the podium or not, or I'm just there going like, wow, 10 years of my life uh, for copper, you know, or for fifth, right? I mean, fourth and fifth are the worst in Olympics, right? They really are. But anyways, that would have sealed the fruit. So often with athletes, they say there's their final season, right? When they're, you just know it's their final season. Or a coach says they're going to retire at the end of the season. They're transitioning to the new one. They're going to seal the fruit. That's what you do. You seal the fruit. So we start, we begin these great projects. We're comforted and strengthened by God's word practically and even supernaturally for the, uh, for the refreshing of our soul while we're grinding through that project. But there comes a time and a day where we actually, we finish it. We graduate. We're done. Now, I mentioned Strong and Strong's Concordance earlier, but another person I want to mention is Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. This is, what, this is the most amazing story, and some of you know elements of the story, but you may not know all of it. But the great missionary who really changed the world, Hudson Taylor from England, son of a, his dad was a pastor in a small village in England. He went to India, and he just changed it all up. Because missionaries looked colonial back then. They looked different than the Chinese or the natives or whatever. But he immediately put on Chinese garb, wore his hair like Chinese, and became one with the culture. He wanted to remove the Western elements of Jesus and really just get Jesus, Jesus of the Bible, to these people and not make him a Western Jesus. Way out of his time because now, obviously, most worldwide missions do everything they can to not make Jesus a Western Jesus. Okay, so he's a hundred. 40 years ahead of his time. In fact, he was ostracized by most the missionary, established missionary organizations and communities because, like, they saw him as lowering himself to dress like Chinese and have his hair braided like Chinese and actually learn Chinese and speak Chinese and to go out and be among the Chinese. His vision was to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to millions of souls, because China's a billion people, and even then it was a lot, to hear the gospel for the first time. He had a vision of people dying and going to eternity having never heard of Jesus or his redemptive work. That's what moved him. That was his passion. So his goal was the Inland China Mission. That's what, Inland China Mission was the name of the ministry. And his goal was that there's a missionary station in every province of Inland China. Think about that. You have corporate people in America or in China who think how they can distribute products in every province of China and make money and make merchandise of people, consumers. This guy, 140 years ago, left every comfort of the Western world to be ostracized and have his life constantly threatened by the Chinese as well. He survived the Boxer Rebellion in 1901, 1902, when a lot of missionaries were killed. 
He buried children who died there in China. He buried his children in China. I'll not give the Lord that which cost me nothing, is what David said. But he came back to England, took a boat full of people on the ship, the Lemuel, if you know the story, and he brought a bunch of people back from England, raised up troops to reach every inland province of China. He was delegating, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago with Solomon people. In the end, his, his wife passed away, and in the end, when he stepped into eternity, it was like 1904, 1905, he had taken the gospel to every province of inland China. Every one of the established identified provinces. That's incredible. That, and not only that, but that ministry still exists under a different name now, still reaching people all over Asia with the gospel of Jesus Christ, particularly in the hard-to-reach countries of Asia. Isn't that amazing? He's been in eternity for 115 years, and his ministry is still going strong to reach the most unreached people in Asia on this day. That is incredible. But he had a start-stop for his entire life, burying his children, burying his wife, going back to England, bringing missionaries back, all the drama of those missionaries, and there was drama. In all of that, his vision never moved from one objective, a mission station in every inland province of China where no missionaries had gone before, and he succeeded before he stepped into eternity. How inspiring is that, WG, tonight? That is way big time. That's the real deal right there. And that that ministry was so strong and so spirit-led, 115 years later, it's still going strong with a bigger vision. Which brings us to the final thing. So seal the fruit, finish the job. What did Jesus say on the cross, by the way? It is finished. Yeah, there's a start-stop. The, the reason Jesus didn't live on planet Earth for 10 years after, from beginning his ministry at 30 is because it was finished after three. It was fulfilled in three years. So what if we're like Jesus beginning our ministry and we have three years and then we're like, whoa, eternity, it's finished. What are we going to do? We're going to always do those things that please the Father. We're going to set our face like Flint toward Jerusalem. For this purpose I've come, to give my life? I hope so. I'm looking in the mirror. I see you, but I really see me in the mirror. Like something like, wow, Joey's talking. I'm like, talking to me. It always starts with me, the man in the mirror. We're all in this together. Which brings us to a rare fourth point tonight. In verse 51 after that, it says that when he had finished the work that Solomon brought in, the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and the furnishings, he put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. And I think this is the kicker that really blesses me. Solomon set things up for the future for when after he was gone. And he set up the future for the next generation by what his father had given him from the previous generation. His father, David, as we know, stepped into eternity with all this wealth, and he gave it to his son Solomon to do the work of the Lord. We can never take it with us. And it always stays behind. And the question is, when the legacy of our life is done, will our total existence implode on our selfishness of who we are with nothing but maybe a few small relationships that had no bearing on eternity? Or... Will our life be like the grain of wheat that dies and brings forth a crop after we step into eternity? Will all that we sowed spiritually in other people 
all that we sowed with our time and our energy and our resources, will all that continue to perpetuate after we're gone? Will the faith that we lived show itself in our children and our children's children and our children's children? Because a righteous man is an inheritance to his children's children, which is what Solomon said in the Proverbs. You see, it's not just one great task and we're done. It's the inspiration of our great task that inspires those who come after us for another great task or another great task around the corner for us because what Jesus, of course, taught is to him or her who has, more will be given. That famous Southern Baptist motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar, said this, set your goal as far as you can see and by the time you get to an accomplishment, you'll see the next goal. And isn't that true? That is so true in life. Once you accomplish one great goal and you've accomplished it, you realize, wow, I didn't know it was next, but it's clearly here. Once you have the temple built, you bring the wealth of the previous generation into the temple to maintain the temple and to expand the ministry. That's what you do. Now, if Solomon loses gold shields after he steps into eternity, which he did, and Rehoboam replaces them with bronze shields, which he did, that's their business. But Rehoboam's failures with the Lord that's his own doing. You can't blame daddy for that one. Because when Solomon was in eternity and Rehoboam became king, he asked the counsel of Solomon's counselors what to do, and they gave him good counsel that would have set him in a good way toward gold shields, if you will. Because Solomon had built those gold war shields, and they were like a testimony of God's glory and his blessing upon them. But Rehoboam took bad counsel, and in the end it cost him everything. He didn't serve the Lord. He fought the Lord. He was evil. And that's not his daddy's fault, that's his fault. And he ended up with bronze shields that he locked in the safe every night when he went to bed. But you know, the kingdom can get better and can get stronger. Would we say that Billy Graham's fruit and all they ever did has decreased since he stepped into eternity? Or would we say it increased? Wouldn't we say it increased? Anne Graham Lotz? Franklin Graham? Samaritan's Purse? Operation Christmas Child? You see... We can go from glory to glory. If it's not going from glory to glory after we're in eternity, it shouldn't be because we didn't have a vision for it and didn't set up people to run with it. So as we think about if we had three years or five years or 30 years, whatever we have, with our faith, with our time and our energy, we want all this to be on display in our actions that we have a vision for an expanding kingdom and that we truly see that. So it's not just to arrive at the completion of one great task and say, well, I've arrived, now let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But I've arrived, and I've learned so much to get here, and now look where the next thing is where I'm going. Like the Bible says, we're going from glory to glory. And you see, if you've been entrusted with one great task and you complete it, then you can be entrusted with other great tasks and just keep going forward. By the time Pastor Chuck stepped into eternity from Calvary Coast to Mesa, you think what God entrusted him with. A little church on Sunflower, then a tent on a piece of land, then the property, then the Logos building, the Karis building, Twin Peaks, Marietta, Green Valley, Brazil, Vita, which of course housed all the refugees from Ukraine just a few months ago. I mean, like, it goes from glory to glory. Like, that's what we want. So we want to think about being up for the grand task. And, and what it is, and asking God for the vision, and being willing to go for it, that we're willing to 
begin, first of all, to get the dream, to catch the objective, catch the goal, what it is, and really let the Lord confirm it. And then let him build the plan and show us the, the roadmap, at least the most basic thing, the next thing, and to get started. And let him strengthen us through it to not walk away, to, to, to see it through and finish the project, no matter how arduous or difficult it is, to see it through and complete it, to finish that project, and in so doing, pass on a future, a future legacy for the next generation. That's what's so amazing to me about this last verse, is he received this from his dad, but it belongs to the Lord, and it's in the temple, and it's there for when he's gone. It's there for the next generation. That's why he would say in Ecclesiastes at the end of his life, hey, when you wake up in the morning, don't say the wind's blowing the wrong direction or it's going to rain. Say, hey, let's cast our bread upon many waters for you don't know from which end it's going to return. That's what he said at the end of his life. And to seek the Lord in your youth and fear God, and that's the beginning of wisdom, and to obey his commandments, that's the whole matter of it all. That's not that hard, is it? So I encourage us tonight to think about that grand task that maybe you're in right now with the Lord. Not to be discouraged in it, but to take strength in the Lord. Or that grand task that he keeps putting on your heart that you just can't shake. Because he's going to give it, he's going to reaffirm it. But to him or her who has, he gives more. So if we reject it, and we, without faith it's impossible to please God. So we got to come to him with faith and we got to receive those visions and with faith and we got to grab it by faith and then let him confirm it by his spirit. Because, you know, again, this future ending when we're gone and what's left behind us and there's more treasure in the temple than when it started. Jesus himself said to him, who has more will be given. But what one of the most amazing things he said in the end of his earthly ministry is greater things you'll do than I did. You ever think about that for the church? Like he, he said, you'll do greater things than I did. And he gave us the great commission. And people like Hudson Taylor, they're all in with their entire life. And I'm not, I definitely have not been all in with my life, but I figure, you know what, I don't have much left, so might as well be all in right now, huh? And it's kind of like if you're in the game, just all right, here you go. I mean, till you, till you, that's it. You know, finish strong. Because one thing for sure we see in the Bible is most people don't finish strong. So that's an encouragement to us to finish strong, even the human experience. Jesus has promised greater things. So even as he stepped into eternity, he said, it's better for you that I leave and I send the spirit and he'll guide you. He'll bring remembrance and he'll equip you for all these things. So as far as I'm concerned tonight, it is a a, a glorious vision in front of us. It is an expanding kingdom. God's given us a future and a hope. His thoughts for us are not evil, but a future and a hope, thoughts of peace and to prosper us. And as I said last week, he promises us peace, protection, and prosperity, to be fruitful. And that's what we want to be. Get a big vision. Ask the Lord for a big vision. And ask for him to strengthen your faith for an even greater vision than the ones you came in here with tonight. In Jesus' name.